0: Hey beautiful, welcome to Unapologetic at 50. I am your host, Sharon Fields. This is an uncapped community discussing real life issues. In your 50s, you have the right to say, I have no time for games, never regretting the past or apologizing for wanting a better future. Join me and special guests as we discuss topics and provide tools to navigate our midlife challenges. Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Unapologetic at 50 podcast. I know you are 50 and fabulous and could be tuning into another podcast. I genuinely appreciate that you chose this one. Today's special guests are from Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. They will be providing answers regarding the effects of COVID in our communities and the vaccines that are currently available. The intent of this episode is to provide you with accurate information, which would allow you to make educated decisions whether to take the COVID vaccine. There are more and more posts on social media and conversations with incorrect information regarding COVID, the vaccine, vaccines that are available, adverse reactions, and who should or should not receive the vaccine, which is not helpful to any of us. Again, I am not here to make a decision for you or to try to sway you in any way. My goal is to make sure that you have the correct information for you to make a decision that will benefit you as well as your loved ones neighbors in your future. Today's guests are Tracy Paris Benjamin and Dr. Pamela Brug. Hello and welcome. Thank you both for joining us for this episode.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank
0: you so much. You are more than welcome. And Dr. Brug, did I pronounce that correct? Brug. Brug. Sorry about that. (laughs) That's
1: perfectly fine.
0: Tracy, we'll start with you if you would please introduce yourself and tell us about your position with Horizon Blue Cross and Blue Shield.
2: Sure, thank you so much, Sharon, and it's a pleasure to be here. You know, I think this is such an important topic that we continue to circulate and we have to do it in as many pockets as possible. So I'm so happy you've taken this opportunity to do this podcast. Again, my name is Tracy Paris-Benjamin. I'm a director at Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield and I'm a director of community health. And what that really means is a focus on developing clinical programs that really address at the root of the problem, really talking about health disparities and health inequities. We've had several programs over many, many years that focus around care coordination, and aspects of that have definitely been touched in terms of addressing health disparities and health equity. What I'd like to do today is be able to provide you with an overview as it relates to some of the programs that Horizon is really vested in. We are looking for opportunities to consistently elevate the conversation around COVID-19 to communities, whether that's Black and brown communities, again, utilizing clergy. One of the most important things I've recognized over doing this work is the power of the messenger, who is the messenger? Who is the person that's delivering the message? That truly impacts the receptivity to those who are listening. And you know, I don't want to spend too much time. You know, I want to definitely give my counterpart, Dr. Brog, the opportunity to introduce herself. But I would say most of my programs right now really focus on utilizing natural resources. What does that mean? Community health workers, mm-hmm. folks that look like peers, that live in the neighborhood. And I like how you you know you started the evening off with not forcing anyone to make a decision. That is really not the intent here. Everyone has to make the best decision for themselves. But at the end of the day, it's making sure that folks make the informed decision. But we've recognized the horizon that sometimes it's not always the nurse the doctor firsthand. Sometimes it requires someone else. I also sit on the board of the American Heart Association, where a big part of our work is to also address chronic conditions, which also put many Black and brown people at higher risk for COVID-19. Wow. Thank
0: you. Thank you for all that you do. And um, that's how we actually got connected through the American Heart Association. I haven't really told my story yet in reference to my own health issues, but I was born with a congenital heart disease and had to have open heart surgery at the age of six. So this is true and dear to me because I want to be able to help those that do not have the adequate information in order to make the best decisions for, again, for their life, the lives of their loved ones, their neighbors, as well as their friends. And too often I've found that the information that we are privy to is incorrect. And that is worse than not having any information at all. That's what I believe. Do you agree with that at all?
2: Most definitely. I mean, I think Dr. Brog and I have done community conversations, whether that's with the African American Chamber of Commerce, with Horizon employees, or even just, you know, local clergy. And what we're finding is some of the questions that are circulating really almost as like a brainchild of one person, kind of infused in doubt and confusion. Mm-hmm. And it's understood. I mean, we've never had anything like this before. The pandemic has forced so many of us to look at our own insecurities, anxiety, and depression around it, that we start perceiving what Our perception becomes our reality. Let me say that. So whatever we perceive, we perceive that to be the reality. And if you're on social platforms, and you have the opportunity to have a broad audience because you have a lot of followers, that can be extremely damaging. Social media is excellent in some ways. And in other ways, it can create you know, a lot of confusion. And we've seen that over the years, just based on the messaging. Uh, we have folks who are undocumented immigrants who are afraid to come out, who are afraid to to get the vaccine because they're fearful that they will be reported. No reporting happens, but this is a reality for someone who is in that situation. So I couldn't agree with you more.
0: Dr. Brug. please tell us about your position with Horizon, please.
1: Yes, I'm a medical director within the Horizon Blue Clothes Blue Shield in New Jersey.
0: Thank you. And how long have you been with Horizon?
1: I've been there now since, I had to count that up today, (laughs) since uh, 2013.
0: Nice. What What are the most common questions that, and either one of you can answer, that you are receiving in reference to COVID? I know that it may be changing because now, you know, uh, this has been over a year and now that there is a vaccine available, but is there one question that still is coming up from last year to now?
1: I think the question that is still coming up is that, Can I get COVID again Mm -hmm. once I've had it? And that the answer is yes. So that's why it's important that people that have had the COVID infection actually do get vaccinated. Because the immunity from the virus itself, first of all, we know it doesn't last. And we also know it isn't as strong, the immune response. So we have had people have COVID too, and actually there was a report the other day of someone having it for the third time.
0: Wow. And and that is one of the questions that I received as well in reference to being reinfected. So that's why I would think that continuing to wear your mask Right. Continuing to follow the protocol is something that all of us should be mindful of and we should continue to do just because we have received maybe one dose of the vaccine or even our second dose. We really shouldn't stop keeping those protocols in play because there is still so much to learn in reference to COVID, in reference to our bodies and the the vaccine. So, in mm-hmm. order to continue to protect us, we should still be implementing some of those same processes, if not all. Yeah. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'll chime in here one hundred percent, and I think the vaccine is our best chance with regards to more severe infection or even death. That's something to think about, that even if folks were to get this again without the vaccine, the likelihood of getting sicker is great. Why, why should I do this? And I think it's really important, Dr. Brog, please feel free to you know, chime in and on this, is that you know, this is the best protection against you know, more severe illness or even death, as I mentioned.
1: Correct. I mean, one of the things that we have to remember, there is no cure Mm -hmm. for a COVID infection. So the things that we can do are the preventative measures, as uh, Tracy has stated, the double layer of the mask, uh, washing your hands for 20 seconds or using a hand sanitizer, social distancing, and still staying out of dense public events or uh, situations. Then, if you feel that you have the symptoms, get tested. Right, because it's still important to know that you have the virus because you can transmit it mm-hmm. again. And I and I say that all honesty because this is something that has occurred in my family, where a, a, a portion of my family they had a, a sickness. And they all got together without masks. And now, aunt has died. 12 out of the 18 have the uh, COVID infection. And one is in the hospital. Wow. With underlying comorbidities. And so, you know, so it is still possible to transmit it. So if you feel sick, please get yourself tested. And then... If after getting the information about the vaccines and making an informed decision, please get vaccinated for both yourself and your family.
0: Yes, absolutely. And and just understand that this is not a free for all. This, you know, once you get the vaccine, it does not mean that you can go out there and act like COVID does not exist.
2: Yeah, That is such an important message more than ever, uh, because at the same time, we don't want people letting their guards down. I've heard stories about people having COVID parties after people get vaccinated. It's a very real concern. And I know that there is the desire for people to want to be together. I spent months without seeing my parents before they were both vaccinated. And of course, it was challenging and, you know, getting parents to focus on, you know, social media and, Zoom platforms. Right. It was definitely, <laughs> you know, complicated, but they got it. They got it. And they did. They did phenomenally. But at the same time, I think Sharon, again, you're raising a really important point that people don't let their guard down. They still socially distance, wear their mask and get tested if you haven't been vaccinated yet. Like I think that's still an important part of this. If you are exhibiting symptoms or you've been exposed with someone, because the, the scariest thing about this is not just how you're reacting to it, but the impact that you can have. You know, imagine not knowing that you have this and spreading this to yes. additional loved ones. So, so I just true. I can't stress that enough.
1: So true. So true. And I want to say people I, you should remember that the vaccine isn't 100 percent protective. Mm-hmm. Right. It is if uh, the Moderna is in the 90s, J&J is in the 70s in regards to getting infected, right? However, what they do do is protect you against moderate and severe symptoms right. of the infection, which ultimately could lead to death, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And the risk is higher, the more morbidities, meaning underlying diseases such as high blood pressure, diabetes, or even obesity that would make you at risk of having more severe form of the infection.
2: And Sharon, I just wanted to add, I think it's so important that we continue to educate, you know, communities of color because we do know a number of, you know, people of color are impacted by those conditions that Dr. Brog just shared. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Tracy, for bringing that up, because I I do think that that is something that we need to be aware of as well in reference to the different types of diseases, disorders, things of that nature that are in our communities a lot more than some other communities. And they are different things that we can do. We can do things to prevent them as well as do change our lifestyle that is going to decrease those different types of diseases and things of that nature in our community. But all of that is also about being educated and using the information that you have received to do better, right? And to teach others, how to do better. And it seems to be for some reason that we are kind of slow getting out of the gate with that. But my hope and my goal, again, is to make sure that I can get as many resources out there, just like I know the both of you are, to try to help maybe level the playing field, if that's the correct term, because I think with everything that's going on, and that has always gone on, we're always at the bottom of the totem pole, whether it is because we are fearful of bringing it to someone's attention, or maybe in a household that you grew up, you know, there used to be that saying, what goes on in this household stays in this household. And I think that it also was pertaining to Health issues or things that you may be going through because you didn't want anyone to know or people in your family didn't want anyone to know. I say no to all of that. There mm-hmm. are a lot of free resources and tools. If you don't have insurance, there are, you know, different places that you can reach out to to get information and to get assistance as well as I don't recommend that you go on to any type of social media platform to try to get diagnosed or, you know, um, use that as a tool in reference to getting uh, medical uh, attention or medical advice. Right. But there is Google. So why not look for the question? Right. Look for the answer and then go to your doctor or a nurse that you know, or some type of facility that would be able to answer your questions with the right information instead of suffering in silence. Because I think that we have been doing that for far too long.
2: Yeah. And I think the you know, the other thing is that it's very real structural racism that exists within, you know, the four walls of many clinical settings, right? So let's, I think it's important that we do highlight that, that, you know, I agree with you 100% that there are these feelings that stays in our home, stays in our home, or people are fearful or embarrassed to share what's happening. But I think some people have also experienced negative situations when they've gone to the doctor maybe they've been rushed or maybe the doctor didn't speak their language or no one spoke the language they spoke so all of those things in itself create barriers and limit folks ability to go to the doctor that they only really go when they're sick like extremely sick that they don't have a relationship with an actual physician someone that they can trust and you think about it like Who should know you better? Who should you be able to have a real dialogue with? And it should be your doctor. Mm -hmm. You should be able to have that. And we're really focused on looking at ways that we can educate doctors to focus on motivational interviewing and understanding the communities in which they serve so that they can have better relationships with the members that they're actually providing care to. It shouldn't just be like a check-in, check-out kind of process. It Mm -hmm. should be, doctor, here are the foods that I eat. I have a little sugar. Like a doctor should understand when someone in their community says that, what that actually means, right? I mean, that's a very real thing for many folks. And I think people are becoming more educated, but the reality is some people think that, like, oh, I, you know, if I eat a little sugar, that means, you know, yeah, my diabetes goes up a little bit. And you really want to have that conversation right. to say that means something more than that.
1: Yeah, but I think that when you look at, all the social determinants of health, things like housing, nutrition, yeah. et cetera. You have to understand how that impacts the diseases that we find in our communities. Mm-hmm. Yes. So if you look at hypertension or asthma, so you look at, well, where are most of our people? A lot are in cities where the environment actually make, is going to make you more prone to being an asthmatic, right? Mm-hmm. You also have Mm -hmm. what I call food dry or nutritional dry areas, segments Mm -hmm. of our communities. There isn't really a good shopping area or a supermarket where you can get your fresh fruit Mm -hmm. or vegetables, but basically you live off of rice and canned foods, etc. Those all have impacts on what, uh, on our diseases that we find in our communities. So not only do you need to change the health system, but you need to change those aspects that have an impact on health and wellness. And I think that there's a real, I can't say a real understanding, but there's more of an understanding now, the impact of racism on our yeah. health. Which 100%. is 100%.
2: Just-
1: Yeah. And it's just that simple. We can demonstrate how it affects hormones and changes Mm -hmm. in our, in the bodies that actually puts you at more stress. And those stress, stressors can then impact your health. Anti-racism education that needs to occur within our healthcare systems, within our educational systems need to be mandatory and are necessary.
2: I would agree. I think Mm -hmm. it's, I think it's paramount right now. And it's really imperative that the leadership of those healthcare systems really decide to take a risk to begin to have these uncomfortable conversations to make them more comfortable. To become accountable, to identify how there may have been things, whether it was done implicitly or really having blind spots to certain processes or even how you are focused on job hires.
0: I agree with what you were saying, Dr. Absolutely. In our communities, it is so easy for you to find a fast food restaurant, a liquor store than it is for you to actually have a supermarket where you can go and purchase, like you said, fresh fruits and vegetables and meats and things of that nature that are of good quality. And the fact that a lot of times when you go to the supermarkets, it it costs so much to eat better. So that is another place where I think
2: there needs to be changes or it's just going to remain to be a vicious cycle. I agree. I'm sorry. I think I got cut off. I don't know what part of the message you guys (laughs) heard me, but I was really just making emphasis that wealth gaps play a huge role here.
0: I'm sure people would like to know more about what happened with the uh, J&J vaccine. Would you be able to speak to that?
1: Yes. Before I talk about the j specifically, I want pe- everyone to understand that serious side effects from any of the three vaccines, the Moderna, the Pfizer, and the J&J are actually very rare. Mm-hmm. That the most common side effects are minor, and they include fatigue, headaches, fever, muscle aches, pain at the site, and maybe I mean, nausea in and vomiting. Now, now, we know, we know that, that the J&J, J&J was, was halted, halted because six out of almost 7 million, 6.8 million people who had gotten the vaccine got a serious form of a blood clot called the cerebral venous sinus thrombosis. Mm-hmm. It was seen in women that had low platelet counts, and platelets are cells in the body that help you to clot the women happen to be of eighteen to forty eight in which we consider the reproductive years
0: okay
1: and usually occurred about a week to two weeks after they've gotten the vaccine they formed this clot now, if you look at it, six out of million. Mm -hmm. That gives a risk of 0.0000006 zeros. Right. (laughs) 15 for getting that. And that's important to understand. Right. And it also shows another good thing. It says that our patient safety advisory board, who are looking at outcomes, is working. Mm They looked at this. They said, "Wow, this happened to six people. Let's look. Should we have a different advice for people that are doing the J, who are going to have the J and J vaccine, or should we say these people should not have the J and J vaccine?" So it shows that CDC and the FDA are still looking yes. at what is happening. And I think that should give people an assurance that it's not that people are just giving the vaccine and right. nobody's looking over them. Mm-hmm. But also to remember that, so we said this long number, 0. 0.0 times 6, right? But if you look at it, woman that is on a birth control pill has a risk of 500 to 1200, which cases they can get a blood clot.
0: Wow. So Mm -hmm. that's
1: 0.05 to (laughs) 0.12. While if you smoke a cigarette, you have a risk of 0.18, right? And if you get COVID infection, you have a risk basically of 16% of getting a blood clot. So the risk of having that type of clot is very rare. Mm I have to say and you know a friend of mine told me this. They basically said do we understand that risk of getting that blood clot is like you winning the mega million <laughs> 258 times in a row. That's the chance of you getting this blood clot. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the perspective that we need to hold and I think that we need to continue to watch, right? I think by Friday, we should get some uh, answers or guidance from the CDC. The European Union already has said that this risk is rare Mm -hmm. and have not halted the use of the J&J vaccine.
0: Wow. Thank you. Thank you for that information. Can you just explain to us what herd immunity is and why is it important? for us to get this vaccine.
1: Yeah, it's herd immunity it means that most people in a community or a population in this case in the United States or actually in the world are immune to a particular disease, bacteria or in this case a virus and therefore the transmission meaning that getting the infection becomes less and less, Mm -hmm. and that is a protection. We're looking probably, we need 70 to 80% of the population to get vaccinated to develop herd immunity here in the United States. Till that occurs, we still have to do all those preventions that we spoke about before, and that's why it's important to kind of get, trying to get back to what will be our new normal, right? right? We don't know (laughs) what that normal will be, but the new normal after the pandemic.
0: Now, we also went through this, if I'm correct, with smallpox, right? Everyone that I grew up with actually has this mark on their arm where they got an inoculation, like we can still see the scar no matter how old you get. That was the same process, correct?
1: Yes. So many of it. All the childhood vaccinations are basically there to develop immunity in the population. So smallpox, which used to be eradicated, but still sometimes we find it once in a while in Mm -hmm. the world. But things like polio, Mm -hmm. germa measles, measles, and now even chickenpox, right? Chickenpox used to be a normal, I shouldn't say normal, but a childhood disease that many of us, at least people of my age, had. And you develop immunity that way. Well, now, like for my youngest daughter, she was vaccinated mm-hmm. against chickenpox.
0: I, I just think that sometimes and, and the things that I've heard people say, they, they forget about, you know, the vaccines, inoculations, and things that we already have had, right? And also going away, students going away to college, there's certain things that they had to have before they could even go to school. And this is a protection for all of us. I understand that Tuskegee happened, all these other things happen. And I, there's it's not that I have a blind eye to that, but we have to do something We can't just sit here on our hands and just hope that this is going to take care of itself.
1: No, and I think that as we look and speak, and Tracy can attest to that, we find, yes, there's hesitancy, but even the data has shown that hesitancy across the races or ethnicities are about the same, Mm -hmm. about between 20 and 23 percent hesitancy. The greatest hesitancy is actually white males, which is close to 50%. What has happened and why there is a disparity in the most vulnerable populations, which are the Black and brown populations of the country, is vaccine access. And it has to do with all the barriers that have been noted because of the way the vaccine registration actually was set up. You had to have a computer, you had to have Mm -hmm. an email. And if you had internet access, not only did you have to have normal internet access, you better have had high speed internet. (laughs) Because forget it, you weren't quick enough then not to get it. Then you had to have the Mm -hmm. time to sit on the phone when they started putting in phone services. But if you work outside of the home, And you don't have the time to sit on the phone for hours waiting. Or, as we found out, the the phone and the internet and the web services were all in English. Mm -hmm. We're a diverse nation. Right. So I think there were so many barriers and that dealt us the vaccine access disparity, as I call it
2: yeah, and I think um, one thing I would add to that is through our conversations, we really were able to identify that there are several people who want to receive the vaccine. So we really wanted to be conscious that we did not set the stage that this is something that all black and brown people feel the same way because sometimes things get lumped together right. where it that in itself becomes the limitation where they're like, Well, they didn't want it in that community, so, you know, we didn't push as hard. And and I heard that loud and clear from, you know, various clergy members who had shared with me that they have a hundred, hundred and fifty, two hundred parishioners or you know members of the congregation that are available and want to receive the vaccine but just don't have the access. Mm-hmm. So we are really trying to make headway by outreaching our you know most vulnerable members. We you know we have a list that we're looking at. We compare that with the New Jersey state registry on a day-to-day basis and look to see how many members are still without vaccines and making sure we outreach them and educate them and then direct them to the appropriate sources so that they do have access, as well as creating the opportunities by partnering with clergy to do some pop-up vaccine locations. So this is another way where people can actually get their vaccine right at church, right at a trusted source, where if they have hesitancy of going to a large, you know, mega site, They can do it at a comfortable area that they're familiar with. So these are some of the opportunities that we're focused on and making sure that most vulnerable populations do, in fact, get that access.
0: Awesome. Again, thank you for all it is that you do. It is definitely needed. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day um, to be a part of educating us, uh, not just for today, but Being that this is a podcast, people will be able to go and listen to this and share this information with other people that have questions as well, and they're getting correct information. So again, thank you so much, and I really do appreciate that. Does either one of you have anything or any information that you would like to close us out with, including if there's any type of resources for someone that is listening to this that would like to obtain additional information?
2: Sure. Well, I can definitely share my I'm happy to share my personal information. Sometimes it's best to just get at the source depending on what the question is and then I can direct it appropriately. So if someone is interested, uh, my email address is Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y underscore Paris, P-A-R-R-I-S hyphen Benjamin. It is a long name. (laughs) B-N-J-A-M-I-N at horizonblue.com.
0: Thank you so much for that information. And doctor, what about you? Uh,
1: yes, I think one of the things is one is you can always get information from the CDC and they actually have information that yes. is geared to brown and black communities but also speak to your own physician your mm-hmm. own health provider mm-hmm. in your uh, that you have a relationship with to get some answers to your questions I am also the Founder and Vice President of the New Jersey Black Women's Physicians Association. And on our website, we do have, or in our Instagram, we have PSAs going with information that the public can actually read about on our website also. My email is p.brook, so B R U G George, at N as in Nancy, J B WPA.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much again for having this important conversation. And thank you for all you do.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Sharon, for doing this and more than happy to come back. I apologize that my connection was so spotty, but I I do hope that the message resonated. And if there's anything else that we can do to support you and your listeners, please let us know. Thank
0: you again. We really appreciate that. And you are now a part of the family. So if there's anything that uh, you would like to share at any given time, please feel free. Let me know. And you're always welcome. Thank you, oh, Sharon. Thank you, thank Sharon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Have Take a great care. evening. You, you too. Have a good one.
2: You bye too. Bye
0: bye. I hope you found the information that was provided in this episode helpful helpful for you, helpful for someone that you know that may have additional questions regarding the vaccine, regarding COVID, regarding what is happening in our communities that will also help you or steer you in a better direction in reference to making your decision in reference to your next step. I know that a lot of us are still struggling with whether or not we should be vaccinated. But at this point, I'm saying to you, get more information, go to your physicians, get the information that will answer your questions, that will help you to make a educated decision. It's not just for you. It's for all of us. Thank you again for listening. This episode was sponsored by beautifulcurves 365.com. Have a great day, Toodles.